We're in Jonah. We are um, in our last, we're entering into the last scene of Jonah. So Jonah's broken into two halves. The first half is Jonah being disobedient and running from God. The second half is Jonah being obedient to God and, and following his commands. But in those two halves, we see four different scenes. The first scene is Jonah uh, on a ship in a storm being tossed into the sea and, and the sailors worshiping God. And the second scene is Jonah in the belly of a fish, thanking God that he's not dead at the bottom of the ocean or the sea. And the third scene is Jonah doing what Jonah should have done in the first place and going into Nineveh and preaching and then Nineveh repenting. And then today the fourth scene is him sitting basically on the hill outside the city looking down upon it and God continuing to work. And the, the, all of those scenes, there's essentially different things happening. We've been able to see attributes of God and, and seeing ourselves for who we are in light of what has happened. But the unifying factor, the unifying theme through the whole thing has been God himself, the, the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, creator, uh, uh, sustainer uh, of all things. It's been this great God. And so we have seen that Jonah truly is a big God story. And so that's how we've approached it. We've asked every week three questions. I actually had the first service repeat them to me because you should know them by now, but I won't do that to you because they failed miserably. Not really. <laughs> they just didn't even try. But the, the first question is, what does this reveal about God? What do we see in this passage about God? The passage we're studying, the, the letter, the prophetic book of Jonah, what does it teach us about God? What does it reveal to us about the Lord? What then also does it reveal about us? You see, here's the reality is we were created in God's image. And so as we look at God, we actually get a glimpse of what we should be. But what we've seen all the way through is that we're not necessarily there yet, are we? And there's a drastic distance or difference between this God who is and who we are. And so we have to ask the question. We have to ask the third question. What then will we do in response to this great God? So we've asked those every week, and, and we'll ask them again today as we look at our seventh sermon in this series, God Hones while Jonah moans. You guys see how hard I'm working to rhyme, right? I mean, I'm drawn from the bottom of the barrel, but, but I had to. <laughs> Hones. I mean, who uses that word? I do. All right? I do. God hones while Jonah moans. Jonah chapter 4. Let's read, and uh, we'll actually read the whole chapter. And as is normal, I will have to stop and, and shout a little bit on the way through because it's just so neat to, to see what God is doing. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Verse 1. It, it, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. See, I can't even get into the, to the chapter. I, I just... That, what? He's angry. Why is he angry? I mean, what is he so exceedingly displeased about? Well, you've got to go back to chapter 3 and understand this. Do you remember what happened the very last verse of chapter 3? The city of Nineveh had repented, and God didn't bring judgment. He relented. And Jonah's angry. Is there, is, is there not something wrong with that? I mean, have you ever, I don't know if you've been, ever been on a, a short-term mission trip, you ever gone somewhere and seen God do amazing things and, and then seen people get saved and been like, ooh, that makes me angry. 
I'm displeased with you. That's what Jonah's doing. And he prayed to the Lord. He's not just angry. He's going to talk to God about it, right? He prayed to the Lord and he said, Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. I was running from you because I knew this was going to happen. I told you. You knew this is what was going to go on. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, O Lord, please take my life from me. Pretty gutsy. Wow. He is ticked. I told you, this is why I ran. I didn't want to go. I never wanted to go. I knew you weren't going to be able to bring judgment on them because I know you. Have you ever received a backhanded compliment? One that at the same time as receiving it, you're like, pow, that hurts. That's what he's doing. He's like, God, I know you're great, but I hate it about you. Do you see? I mean, that just doesn't make sense what is going on with this man of God. Now, I don't don't know about you, but I think I'd have given Jonah what he wanted. There you go. You wanted it. You got it. I think, think, I I mean, I'd like to think that I'm more than this, but I I know myself fairly well. I'm not necessarily the most patient of people. But that's not what God did, is it? In fact, the rest of this chapter is about God working in spite of Jonah. Verse 4, and the Lord said, I think this is what I'd say, here you go, Jonah, boom. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? You see where it would be my inclination to squash, it's God's inclination to teach to sharpen, to hone, to, to, to sanctify, to cleanse, to make holy. And Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he, could, till he should see what became what would become of the city. So I want you to get this picture. Jonah's in the city preaching. He's walking around Nineveh. Hey, Nineveh, 40 days and God's coming and, and, and he's going to destroy you. Nineveh repents. They're just like remorseful. They're hating their sin. They're, 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 they're recognizing it and they're, they're turning from it and they're believing God. And he's like, well, okay, well, let's just go see what happens. So he goes and he sits on a hill on, on the outside of the city, somewhere to the east of the city, and he's sitting there just waiting for fire to fall from heaven. He's looking for Sodom and Gomorrah to happen, right? I mean, he's looking for the fire and brimstone. I just can't wait. They're going to get what they deserve. So day 39 comes, and he's anticipating. He's sitting there, and he sees that God is not going to bring judgment. He's angry. Now the Lord God appointed a plant. Now remember, he's built this booth. He's sitting there waiting, and and it's hot and dry. You ever been in a desert? It's hot and dry, and things don't green things don't stay green, right? I mean, once you pick them up out of the ground, and there's no water for them to to be sustained by, they they wither and they and they uh, fall apart. And so pretty soon, his his little shelter it just wasn't enough. 
God appointed a plant. He appointed a plant. Like God made a plant grow. That's what he's saying here. And, and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head. So God looks at Jonah and he says, Ah, do you do well to be angry, Jonah? Well, let me show you something. And right where Jonah's sitting, it's not an accident. It's not a, not a, not a, 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 a it's not, not a coincidence. This plant in a day grows up big enough to shade and cover Jonah and give him relief. It might shade, might be a shade over his head and to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah, here we go. Here, maybe there's some hope for Jonah. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. He's getting what he wants, right? The things are going his way. <laughs> well, we think. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. So not only is he realizing that God is not going to destroy Nineveh, but now he's faint in the hot sun and the scorching wind, and he's frustrated. It is better, he says, it is better for me to die than to live. Wow. But again, God said, do you do well to be angry about the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh? that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. Well, God, I mean, he, he's, he is working hard to show Jonah so much more than Jonah sees on his own. I mean, what does this teach us? I mean, as, as we sit here and think about this passage, what can we glean about God from it? What does it reveal to us about God? Well, I'd like to just say, I mean, and, and we could just really say this and walk away. God is awesome, right? He's awesome. You know the song, Everything is Awesome. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know it, and now it's going to be stuck in your head. That's a lie. Everything is not awesome. Sometimes life is difficult. Sometimes it sucks. Sometimes it feels like a tick sucking all the blood out of you. But God is awesome. He's always awesome. And that's what we've seen over and over and over and over in this passage. That he, or not this passage, but in this book, he is always awesome. He is always sovereign. He is always ruling. He is always glorious. He is always merciful. He is always loving. He is always gracious. He is a God who is able to judge, but who desires to provide mercy. He is an awesome God. And Jonah knows it. Jonah completely gets it. He's even confessed it and held it against God. You are a good God. You're gracious. You are merciful. You are slow to anger. 
That's the one I really want to pay attention to today. But, but look, at, he, he knows it. And he confesses it and he holds it against him. But let's zoom in on what he said about his anger. You see, we've talked about his sovereignty. We've talked about his glory. We've talked about his mercy and his grace. Just consider this thing that should have Jonah so excited and so pleased because Jonah needs it so desperately. God is slow to anger. He is patient. See, the Lord is patient. And why does that matter? Why does it matter that the Lord is patient? Because He endures our sinful hearts in order to make us holy as He is holy. I mean, if you just consider what God has, what He has endured with Jonah, just consider what, what Jonah has done. I mean, Jonah hears the call of God, a prophet of God, one who had professed God's truth before, one who had known God, one who knew the Scriptures, one who knew and had experienced His power, one who knew this God was gracious and loving and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, one who knew these things, not just intellectually, but experientially, this man, this prophet, looks at God and says, I don't want to do what you're, what you're telling me to do. I'd rather run to Tarshish because I know what the outcome could be. I'd rather do my own thing. I'd rather be my own God. I'd rather go my own way. So he ran. He disobeyed God. He strived to hide from God. God sends a storm and and just nearly sinks the ship to the point that the sailors toss him in and he sinks to the bottom of the ocean or to the bottom of the sea and God appoints a fish. And he tells that fish, carry Jonah around for three days and then deposit him back on the beach. And, you know, I, I think, I think at that point, I think at that point that I think, I think I would do exactly what Jonah did the next time I heard God call. Well, I get it. I can't hide. I can't run. I can't get away. I guess I'll just have to obey. And that's what Jonah did. But in his obedience, we should not mistake that. We shouldn't mistake that for what is really happening. You see, Jonah didn't want to go. Jonah felt like he had to go. Jonah, with improper motive, with, with the wrong thoughts in his mind, with the wrong intention in his heart, he went. And in this moment, when he should be celebrating what God has done, he is cursing God because he did what he, he didn't want God to do. You see, what we're finding about God is that he is extremely patient with Jonah. And, and let's just be real here for just a minute. Because as we look at Jonah... I think what we see about ourselves is immediately evident. We don't always like what God does. We don't always feel good about His de decrees and His decisions. We don't always think others deserve what we do. I mean, if you... If you heard 
in the beginning, I, I, we had already begun to lump ourselves into this issue with Jonah. It's never been just about Jonah. But as soon as we see God's patience, we have to see that his patience is because we are so sinful. Because even a people who taste the grace and goodness and mercy and abounding and steadfast love of God, even a people who have received it and experienced it, we don't always appreciate it. We don't always celebrate it. We definitely don't always want to extend it. Christian, what does this tell us about us? Like Jonah, we're not yet all that the Lord has created us to be. We still need His patience. We still need the cross. We still need His grace. We still need His mercy. We have not attained a position before this God that earns us anything. We are always and will always be dependent upon His patient grace, love, and mercy. Even the most mature believer in this room, and believe me, I don't think that's me. Even the most mature believer in this room, though, has been deemed righteous and holy by God, but is not yet without sin. We still sin. We still run. We still hide. We still try to, to keep our little kingdoms together. We still work hard to get our own way. We still strive to, to do things that... Uh, that we enjoy and not do things that don't feel good to us. We, we still try to make decisions for ourselves instead of submitting in obedience. We still, when we obey, struggle with mixed motives, with pure and completely, completely pure and completely selfish motives. I know this full well. Every week I get up here, every week I get up here and I fight in the, in, inside of myself for this. I come and I want, in the depths of who I am, I want to see God made famous. I want to see Jesus exalted. I want you to see this big picture of this glorious God so that when you walk out, that you go worshiping. I want that. But I'd be lying if I didn't tell you that in the depths of who I am, I also fight for my own glory. And I want you to pat me on the back. And I want you to think I'm better than John Piper. And I want you to... Quit listening to Matt Chandler so that you can just hear from me. I want those things. My flesh longs to be that man. None of us are beyond that. You see, we may not be so far gone as Jonah. We may not be sitting on a hillside looking on a city and thinking, I can't wait to see the fire and brimstone. I can't wait to see the earthquake that swallows that city. We, we may not be doing that. But aren't there people in your life who you would rather see judged than graced? Is there no one in your life that you would rather see get what they had coming to them than receive the grace and mercy of God? I wish I could say it wasn't true about me. It's not always. 
But sometimes, some days, maybe, maybe we're not as, as far gone as Jonah and looking at the circumstances that are sitting around us and the plants that come up and shade us and cursing and wishing we were dead because suddenly God takes something away from us and suddenly we have a trial and a difficulty to deal with. Maybe, maybe we're not cursing God and saying, just kill me now. Maybe we're not so far gone that we're doing that. But can you say that you're content and at peace with every difficulty you are facing today? Everything that doesn't make sense in your life today? Are you completely at ease and trusting the Lord and not doubting that He knows what He's doing in your life today with all the difficulties and all the struggles that could be? This life is difficult. And I know, I know that, the, that you walk in this room Every Sunday, people walk in this room with the struggles and the burdens and the, and the pains of this life weighing them down. I know it. And maybe you're not today, but aren't there some days where you wonder if God could really know what He's doing? Wondering if God has forgotten you, if God has quit loving you, if God has quit being concerned about the situations and circumstances of your life. Maybe it's not today, but hasn't there been days that you have questioned whether he's there for you or not? Might there be more days coming that you question whether he's there for you or not? Aren't there situations that you're just not happy with today? Single people often want to be married and question why God wouldn't bring them their spouse. Married people sometimes want to be single. But if they don't want to be single, they oftentimes wonder, why is my husband not like him? Or why is my wife not like her? Why isn't this relationship that was supposed to make me happy so difficult? Where have you gone, God? What are you doing? Why have you left us? Why are you not working here? Why is this not, not easier? Employees wonder why their boss is such a jerk. Employers think, why isn't that employee working harder? I mean, truly, if we'll be honest with ourselves, there's all kinds of things that we are dissatisfied with. There are truly things that we doubt God knows what He's doing. There are truly things that we are frustrated about in our lives. If you can see that in yourself now, I want you to hear this question from God. Do you do well to be angry? Do you do well to be dissatisfied? Do you do well to be frustrated? Do you do well to doubt that this great and sovereign and merciful God is not working for you? Christian, like Jonah, you are not yet all that the Lord has created you to be. We are not yet all that the Lord has created us to be. But He is patiently dealing with us in order that one day we will be. 
there should be a sigh of relief. Actually, there might even be a cheer of excitement and a resounding praising of God going on in your hearts right now. Because in his patience, he is appointing circumstances and situations not to crush you, not to condemn you, not to remove his love from you, but because he loves you and wants the best for you and wants you to be all you were created to be, he is appointing the circumstances and situations of your life that you might raise your view and see this awesome God of glory. God's love for his people is not just expressed in saving grace. Oh yes, that's glorious. We are saved. But it is also in demonstrated in patient transformation. I mean, think about this. Why, after all, did God choose Jonah of all people? I mean, if, if God's mission was simply about Nineveh, if God was just wanting to reach Nineveh, wouldn't it have made more sense for him to pick a prophet who wouldn't pout, who wouldn't rebel, who wouldn't shout back at him and argue with him at every point? I mean, he surely had prophets that would have gone to Nineveh without having to go and be swallowed by a fish first. He surely had prophets that would have had a better motive as they walked into the Nineveh and preached. He surely had prophets that wouldn't have sat on the hill hoping to see fire and brimstone come down. Surely there were prophets in Israel that wanted to see God's word proclaimed and God's grace demonstrated. Surely they were there. But see, my, my, my idea, my, my thought is, is that this was never just about Nineveh. God was working as distinctly and, and, and intentionally for Jonah as he was Nineveh. God didn't just care about the 120,000 people in Nineveh. Yes, he did. He said it himself. But he also cared for Jonah. And you know what? He also cares for every last one of you, his children, he is patiently working to transform you. That you might be all that he intends you to be. That he knows you are to be. <clears throat> and, and, I mean, the thing is, is that this, this love that he this d demonstrates for us, you know, it's, it's not just, as I said, it's not just about saving us. It's about changing us and transforming us. God loves you enough, to, not just to save you from death, but to transform you and mold you to look more like him, to look more like Jesus, to restore the image in you that sin has so marred. He loves you enough that when he comes to you with saving grace, he stands by you with patient grace. He loves you enough not to leave you devoted and longing for the things of this world that will eventually fail you and leave you empty and dead and destroyed but to take your view and turn it towards him more and more towards him. The reality is this. God doesn't just want your obedience. He doesn't just want you. It's not like God needs servants running around the earth cleaning it up. God created you because he loves so much. And he knows the best thing for you is that you would be devoted fully to him. He doesn't just want your obedience. He wants your devotion. We are a split, two-minded people all too often. But God loves us enough not to leave us where he found us, but to save us and then transform us 
He loves you enough to direct all of his glory, all of his sovereign power, all of his grace and his mercy and his love in order that you, little old you, really inconsequential in the whole scheme of things when you stop and think about the massive creation that we exist in, little old you would know him, would walk with him, would be devoted to him, would worship him so often. So often we get confused. But in light of this, we get frustrated, we get just angry. We begin to doubt God. But, but in light of this, isn't it appropriate to ask that maybe, just maybe, even in your darkest day, God was there patiently sanctifying you, patiently turning your eyes and showing you your need for him. Wasn't, isn't it possible that even if today is that darkest day, that he is not far from you, but that he is right next to you? Isn't it possible? I think that's what this passage is showing us. That in spite of who we are, in spite of what we deserve, God patiently endures. And I think that's the whole, the, the whole mindset of Scripture. I don't think this is some isolated event. I mean, Psalm 139, David says, you hem me in behind and before. He's hedged us out. He's protected us. He lays his hand upon us, not crushing us, covering us, protecting us, keeping anything out that he doesn't want there. Try to get where God doesn't want you to go. Ask Jonah how that works for him. It doesn't. There's nothing coming to you. There's nothing getting past his hedge. There's nothing getting in his hand. Romans 8.28, And we know that for those who love God, all things, not some things, not the things we like, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In all things, in every last second, in every last instance and circumstance of your life, he is bringing good that you might look like Jesus. That's his purpose for you. That's the best for you. That the image of the creator would be restored in you. And it's not just momentary. Because for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that they that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. You are not suffering in vain. You are suffering looking towards glory. To the moment when he comes back and removes this sin nature, this bag of bones that we carry around. You are suffering as he sanctifies you, but there is a day coming when all of the fruit of that is borne out. And he gives you this new flesh, not tainted with the temptations of sin and the, the draw of sin and the love of this world over its creator. James 1, 2 through 4, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Oh, count it all joy, my brother. Now, I would expect to read, count it all joy, my brothers, when God does what you want him to do and what feels good to you. That's not what he says, though, is it? 
Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And the steadfastness, having full, it's full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The writer of Hebrews, it is for discipline that you have to endure. You suffer not in vain, but so that God can train and teach and shape and mold you. God is treating you as sons. And if you're a girl, don't feel bad. That's not a bad thing. He counts you as his child. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Everything, all of these verses, this passage from Jonah, they, they, they all say and show us essentially the same thing, that God is shaping us and molding us, that he is patiently and graciously making us into the likeness of his son, that he is patiently and graciously teaching and training us. He is patiently and graciously going uh, to, to, to use all things for our good. Everything you now experience, everything you as one who has been predestined by God and who will one day be glorified by God, everything that you will experience will be used for your good. There's never been a moment that God has looked away. There's never been a loss that he didn't know. There's never been anything that has happened that he didn't allow or cause a point for his own purpose, your best Good. And I know that's not great English, but I hope it emphasizes the point. He wants your best good. And he has always been working towards that. See, we no longer need to wonder what God is up to. Because he has shown us in his word that he is always working for us. We can struggle. We can wrestle, we can shout, we can, we can do just like Jonah and scream at God. I, ultimately, I don't think there's anything terrible about that. Well, I mean, you talk to God about that. Uh, we can do it. We can do it. But, Christian, because the Lord is patient, His love will never quit you. His mercy will never quit you. His grace will never, never, ever, ever quit you. It goes on and on and on. And in everything that happens, you can know that God is now patiently, graciously sanctifying you, forming you into the likeness of His Son. And in the same way, God did not quit Jonah that day east of the city. He will not quit you. I hope, my hope for you, brother and sister in Christ, is that this inspires and encourages and gives great hope. But non-Christian, non-Christian, one who hasn't trusted in Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross in our place for our sin, non-Christian, I can't give you this hope. I can only warn you. If you have never trusted Jesus, there will come a day when his patience will no longer be with you. 
Jonah goes into Nineveh and he preaches and God gives him 40 days, demonstrating again God's patience and willingness and desire to extend mercy. But about 160, 200 years later, depending on when you think Jonah was written, God calls his prophet Nahum. He doesn't send him to Nineveh, but he says prophesy against Nineveh, call for their destruction. And let me tell you, let me warn you, non-Christian, his patience ran out on Nineveh. In just a few short generations, they had turned back to their evil. Children didn't honor the work that God had done in their parents, and they returned to their evil, and they gave up what God had done. And today, Nineveh is a pile of dust that archaeologists had to dig up. It's a memory. Certainly, there's things still there. Certainly, you can go there and see where the archaeologists have found the walls. But it's no longer Nineveh. You see, this hope belongs to Christians. But it's available to you if you'll trust in Jesus Christ. Now, I'm looking at a room. I know virtually all of you have heard your stories. I know that you have professed faith. And so because of that, I know that I can offer this with great encouragement. Don't hear a warning. Hear his hope. Hear his work for you. Hear of his grace and his mercy and his love that never, ever, ever ends. So what are you going to do with this? What will you do in response to this? I think you've got to ask yourself just a couple of questions. Are you acting like Jonah's acting? Can you see Jonah in yourself? Do you do well to be angry? Do you do well to be dissatisfied and discontented? Do you do well to doubt that God is working for you? Do you do well in your response to God. Let's pray.